I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Gundungara people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. What's great about and what I love about working in, in the spirit space is actually that, that they are that ingredient for a bartender to do creative stuff with, whereas typically a wine is consumed as the winemaker intended, um, straight from the bottle. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. So High Spirits are opening the gates of fab in the world of martinis. Their Southern Highland Spirit Company was co-founded by Alex Doughty and Greg Logan. Together, they are changing the way you construct your classic five o'clock cocktail. Today, I'm joined by Alex. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Shantae. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a cracking day here in the Highlands. Oh, I bet it's beautiful. It's probably nice and warm down there at the moment. You are you reside in the Southern Highlands, but is that is where you're originally from? No, no. I'm uh, I'm from Sydney. Um, but uh, we moved here five years ago, and uh, on a day like today, 30 degrees, it's actually hot for a change. Um, after a year of cold and biblical amounts of rain, it's a great place to be, at least at the moment. Yeah, it's nice to be kind of drying out <laughs> for a little bit. And what, what pulled you down to the Southern Highlands? I mean, it is such a spectacular part of the world, so I don't doubt it, but what was the original pull? Well, um, we, we've lived in big cities and in Australia and overseas, but really we wanted a different place to raise our kids, my wife and I, and um, moved here five years ago. We live in a town called Barrel uh, on, a, on a farm here, and um, I guess you could say we, we moved here for the good life and to give our kids, I guess, a different place to, to grow up, you know, space, outdoors, countryside, and hopefully when you go down the main drag, you know people so yeah and uh we we haven't regretted a minute of it uh i completely agree with you it's so beautiful down that way but to encourage you know kids to grow up in the great outdoors when we're so lucky to have such a beautiful country to live in um are they outdoor kind of people they are um they really are in fact um uh yeah they're they're both quite into horse riding and mountain biking and those sort of things so that's quite good but um like any parent with two teenagers you sort of try to just make sure that they're off the devices and are doing something that engages their their mind and um most of the time um we definitely get that in spades here but yeah no it's it's a great great part of the world yeah that's definitely a challenge for for today's children that's for sure but a beautiful part of the world now you're a martini drinker from way back is that right uh, yeah, I am. And um, I guess I, I really appreciated that um, probably especially during um, a former life when I was in the corporate uh, world. And um, my, my wife and I, she wasn't my wife then, but we lived in, in the US in, uh, in New York for, for quite a while in the early 2000s. And um, that was really where I started to get a bit of a bit of exposure to cocktail culture because growing up in Australia, you sort of know, you see good wine, certainly are exposed to things like beer and um, terrific drinks from the 2000s like, um, you know, RTDs and other things, which we're probably all happy to forget about. But um, but I think um, it was particularly being in America for about seven years from 2004 that 
really, um, I got exposed to that as a drink and other cocktails because it was going through this huge explosion in the cocktail scene over there. Um, and so um, I really uh, started to taste them for the first time in America and um, they actually seems to be having a bit of a renaissance now as they have had over, you know, decades. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic drink. It certainly is. And all the pieces of the puzzles and the questions I had for you are coming together because I was going to ask where, you know, where did you first kind of have your first martini? Because you're right, it is, it's not perhaps as big here. And, and maybe what we mostly know of perhaps a few years ago was a, like a martini, but maybe more flavored kind of kind of cocktails, not your kind of traditional ones. So it makes sense that you've been in the States and had that experience. So how did so high kind of come about um thanks for you know you obviously introed um what we're about but you know like everything i guess when you think about what led you down a path often it happens from things in your childhood that you probably don't realize at the time um you know i was a couple of things that stick out to me my my father has always enjoyed good wine and has a nice cellar and i remember going to wine regions with my my folks as a kid and playing with my brother out on the lawn outside cellar doors while they're inside tasting, eating cubes of cheese and Jats crackers um, and waiting for them to finish. And, you know, I guess you got sort of exposed to the Aussie wine industry that way. I also remember as a kid, um, and I'm a bit embarrassed to say it, um, a movie called Cocktail um, that uh, starred Tom Cruise some people might remember that. But um, I remember that was in the bicentenary year, I think, like 88, and I was nine. And um, so it probably ages me. And I remember just looking at that movie. Obviously, I was very young and it was just so cool. You know, they had all these crazy cocktail names they were saying. They were throwing these bottles around. Do you remember that movie? I definitely remember that movie. I had a massive crush on him in that movie. <laughs> There you go. Uh, so, you know, I even remember buying one of those um, Boston cocktail shakers for my parents for Christmas just because I thought it was, was super cool. Yeah, so I guess that, that happened, you know, growing up. Um, but I, um, I was at university. I, I worked for one summer in the fine wine department of Dan Murphy's of all places um, when they just got bought by Woolies in Paran in Melbourne. And that sort of fueled an interest in wine. Um, but that took a back seat basically when, when I started um, a career after uni in sort of the financial services marketing space. And uh, that took me to America, which, um, uh, which I really enjoyed. And basically I spent my 20s in New York. And so at the time there, it was just this amazing um, cocktail scene. There were these great bars and these speakeasies that were serving drinks that, frankly, I'd, I'd never seen before. Um, martinis obviously were, were firm, firmly in that mix, but there were these venues that many people may have been to or read about, like like Please Don't Tell and Chumleys and the original Employees Only and all these places that, you know, just felt like another world for someone who grew up in Australia, you know, and everyone has the time of their lives in the 20s, but I think I was just super lucky to be be then and there. Um, and I do remember my first martini. Um, you know, I remember it being strong 
uh, I remember it being a step up from, you know, the ubiquitous Cosmopolitan and other sort of sweeter drinks that um, you might have tried before. It was like the best cold glass of water you've ever had, you know. It was refreshing. It was pure. It certainly gave you a hit, but if it was well made with good ingredients, um, you know, uh, uh, frankly, it's it's delicious. Yeah, and it does tend to be the simpler or the less ingredients you have, the more important the ingredient is that you're using. Like you said, the quality of what you're using. So I, I, I understand what you mean by trusting that person to mix you up a good martini is, um, yeah, you, you're, you're asking a lot, especially when you, you know, these days you're, you're paying quite a hefty figure, especially in Australia for a, for a martini and you know it's a very measured pour unlike perhaps some places in the states where they kind of uh you know they're a little bit freer and looser with the way that they they do their free pours which i absolutely love and i think your first martinis always should be a memory and mine was in the states as well and uh yeah, it had a very big impression on me and um, I'm still a, a big fan of martinis. But as I said to um, someone the other day, that it's a little bit of a gateway drug for me. I, I, I love them so much and I tend to either drink them a little bit too quickly or I really want a second. And that, and, I'm, and then I'm in this place where I, I, yeah, I don't always want to be. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I th- to use a car analogy, I reckon if you have – an evening start with a martini it's like you're going straight to third gear um which um which uh you know frankly is uh is sometimes what's needed definitely well you're right it definitely is now i can blame you for um starting my uh my Sunday night off with a martini last night and I was able to have your beautiful um extra virgin uh vodka which was sensational used with also your um wonderful vermouth and then olives which i have to say are some of the best olives i've ever had they're absolutely delicious so tell me a little bit about how kind of so high came about you obviously fell in love with martinis and did you see a gap in the market for kind of some a certain type of you know gin or vodka that you didn't see was there and 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 how did you kind of package all that up uh, sure. And well, firstly, I'm glad you had a, had a good cocktail with it. Thank you for for, for telling me. Um, always worried uh, if people don't. Yeah, I mean, firstly, the name Sohai um, is short for Southern Highlands. I have had someone ask me if it's medicinal cannabis, and I just thought I'd clarify that. Um, you know, as you say, we make, we make gin, vodka and vermouth, and we make them with ingredients and flavours that speak of, of our part of the world here. Um, for those that aren't that familiar with our part of the world, we're sort of an hour and a half out of Sydney on the way to Canberra. We're high altitude, sort of 700 metres above sea level. And, um, you know, we're sort of beautiful green hills, great volcanic soil, really manicured gardens. And so we've really tried to capture all of that in our products. Um, and... Um, if you're a Sydney cider who's done well, usually you you either drive to your beach house up the coast, or if you want four seasons and beautiful rolling countryside, you go south to your farm here in the Highlands. And um, I think that's because you know we've just got this beautiful scenery, landscapes, you know, country towns. It's almost more of an English landscape. Um, 
lots of greenery. Even that movie Babe with the pig that was uh, that was filmed here in the Highlands, if you remember that. Um, but you know, I think so. We, we've sort of got a beautiful part of the world that we're in, um, but very specifically, I think um, we've tried to be inspired by um, this sense of place and capturing that in our products. So that's that's ultimately what inspired us to create the products you just talked about. Um, if you think about like those long-lived brands, usually from the old world, it's usually because they're tied to a place. And, you know, parts of Europe and Asia, I think, have just lasted so long with their brands because they've got a link. It might be champagne, it might be whiskey from Scotland um, or, or, or whiskey from Tennessee. I think they've usually got, you know, a sense of place. So that's what we've tried to capture. So that's why our vodkas, for example, the extra virgin one you, um, you put in your martini is made with potatoes. And we do that because we're known for our potatoes here in the Highlands. We've even got a big potato on the main drag of Robertson. Um, beautiful, you know, um, we, we think they're Australia's best. Some of the best chefs in Sydney use those potatoes um, for their dishes. And and so we've really taken that that ingredient and we've been inspired by, by the texture and the creamy mouthfeel that comes from it frankly, almost inspired more by the sort of classic Russian-Polish vodkas that sort of have that, 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 that um, feedstock as, as what they make their products from. So that's a great example of being, I guess, almost naturally led to using potato in our vodkas. Um, the extra virgin one you mentioned, um, maybe just to take that one step further, that was a bit of a... Um, a bit of a product that came up during the product development process from our signature vodka, which we call Potato Crisp. And we did that because we wanted to find the best martini olive, uh, which you mentioned. Those olives are grown uh, for us by our great olive growing partner, Alto Olives. They, they grow their olives in a, in a place just outside of Crookwell here in New South Wales in the Southern Tablelands. And um, we love their olives. And one of the things that drew, it, drew them to us was they're naturally brined and they're also just got this beautiful um, this beautiful texture and meat, fleshy texture to the olive. They do that because they brine them in nothing but water and Olsen sea salt um, from, from South Australia. And so when we were playing around with that brine, um, we, we actually um, tested um, adding it at the end of the distillation to our signature potato vodka, and that and that started to sort of un, unfold into this really interesting um, dirty martini vodka. So not not a cocktail in a bottle, but just something that's got more salinity, more savouriness, and so really terrific in a dirty martini. Also great in something like a like a Bloody Mary. So I guess we just let the region and its ingredients sort of. Um, in a way, guide us to what was going to work, and um, and we were lucky enough to 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 develop that product and, and win a few awards along the way in our first year. Mm. Yeah, and you did. I mean, your your vodka won gold in the London Spirits Competition uh, in twenty twenty two, which is the highest ranking. Is that right for an Australian vodka? 
It is. Uh, yeah, no, it was a real pinch me moment. Um, obviously, you get super proud of the products you make, but you just hope the world likes them. And yeah, that competition is one of the three big ones globally. And uh, yeah, we, we we definitely were super chuffed. And that actually led us to have the confidence to release that as a not just a trade only product, but something for, for the wider market. So yeah, it's been a, a great early win for our, our business. Mm. It's interesting because when I when I look at your your first thing you look at when you enter into your um, spirits is the the bottles. They come in these incredibly stunning cut glass bottles that really gave me um, an a kind of reminder of almost of the kind of seventies kind of era of those beautiful kind of cut glass, you know, um, sometimes half globe kind of bars that people would have and they would mix their drinks. So it really gives you a sense of a feeling. But the more I looked into your brand and the more things make sense sense to me, it made sense that you had really considered all the ingredients that make up, um, you know, the vodkas or the gins or the vermouths, that they're, they're, they have a sense of place, but also that they kind of were packaged to, you know, really hit a particular consumer and somebody that loves martinis, it all just makes sense to me. It makes sense. The olives that were considered, you know, you've only got a few ingredients, you've really kind of picked it out. So it's really the whole package. And um, as somebody who loves olives and is very picky about my olives, I'm very picky about my pickles as well. The um, wonderful kind of snap that you get on the outside of those olives in the skin, and then they're just the right amount of firmness. The brine is perfectly salty. I, I was in seventh heaven and um, I, I ha- have to commend the whole team on, on all of the components that have gone into it because it really looks like nothing has not been considered. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks for noticing. Yeah, it definitely makes you um, uh, feel it's all worth it because, you know, obviously liquid needs to be um, terrific, but, you know, people usually make their purchase decisions with their eyes and their and their hearts first. Um, they typically won't necessarily buy it a second time uh, if they don't love what's in it, but but we definitely spend a lot of time thinking about yeah how we how we package our product. Um, we were inspired by things like champagne, um, so these sort of classic silhouettes of the classic champagne bottles, and also things like perfume. So categories outside of um, alcohol that have these beautiful rib bottles, as you said, a bit more of a timeless deco or retro feel. Um, and um, yeah, we, we're glad you noticed. Um, certainly a labour of love. <laughs> I can really tell that. I mean, the first thing I did was have a sip of the brine because I'm a, I'm a total olive brine sipper from way back and pickle juice sipper <laughs> from way back. Um, but tell me a little bit about the moment that you first held a bottle of so high in your hand and kind of made your first drink. Did you, um, you know, do it with a, a group and the team that kind of was involved, or did you know, how did you celebrate that moment? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, look, it, I'm sure that many um, makers or you know people who create things from scratch can relate to this, but it's a really emotional thing. You don't realise it until it hits you, but. For for Soho, it was a culmination of a couple of years of work. You know, frankly, a lot of um, time, energy, trial, error, um, and that starts obviously with the liquid. You know, what do we want it to be about? Um, researching ingredients, partnering with growers, refining it, 
throwing stuff out, starting again, you know, all that good stuff. You then layer on top of that, um, how do we want to tell our story about this place? Obviously, the name itself, um, and I give full credit to Greg for that. He's just such a talented guy in terms of he, he came up with So High straight away. Um, and uh, and what's the world around that? So we call you know our brand Playfully Posh. You know, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but we're, we try to be a little um, a bit fancy. And then the packaging, yeah. Um, so, you know, for those that haven't, um, had much to do with the the custom bottle industry. It, it's a really long lead time. You sort of have to make um, big decisions early, um, and once you press go, it's not like you're doing you know a couple of hundred bottles and then hoping hoping that it goes well. So you know, seeing it all together and holding it in your hand and seeing the finished package as you had in mind, yeah, it was a really really emotional time. And frankly, um, we were we were delighted. Yeah, I can't imagine the moment, but um, I certainly would have been very rewarding. And I think emotional is a good way to describe it because, like you said, a lot of hard work. I'm sure, like you said, a lot of big decisions that, you know, big financial decisions need to be made, like you said. And uh, you've just got to kind of go all in, don't you, and, and put, put, put all your money in the rink and just go for it. But what a wonderful product that you've kind of come up with at the end of the day. But I'd like to know a little bit more about your gin. There's so many Aussie gins on the market and so many fantastic gins. With all the botanicals to choose from, how did the recipe evolve? Yeah, look, you're spot on, Shantae. Like the world doesn't need another gin. um, I think we we can agree with that. Um, But um, I think two things, particularly during COVID, that kept coming back with, we always wanted to create um, potato-based vodka and our gin is our two signature products. Um, um, And then we've since launched our vermouth, as you said, and so on. But the gin is very much um, inspired by here, by our place. And so what does that mean? Well, it means it's not a juniper forward London dry style. It's actually a more balanced, layered, sort of um, a delicate gin. And it's really more inspired by our gardens. That's why we call it Garden Envy. Most of the botanicals um, are grown um, by the Botanic Gardens here in Barrel, which is a great partnership we have with them. Um, You know, when you get off, probably the easiest way I can describe it is when you get off the plane in a different place and it smells different or the air sort of, the oils in the air or the, the light is different, you know, we try to create that same sort of feeling like you've walked into a Highlands garden in our gin. So practically, what does that mean? There's three main profiles that go on in the gin. The first is floral, um, and and we do that because that's invariably what you're finding in our beautiful gardens here. It's things like lavender, which a great organic lavender farm grows for us near Crookwell. Um, It's rose petals, but that you get on the nose. You don't get it on the palate. Um, you get sort of our other two profiles, which are citrus and herbaceous, so things like orange peel, um, coriander, and then this third layer, herbaceous, which we think really brings it all together. And they're the things that grow in a Highlands 
almost kitchen garden. They're almost more classic English herbs, not Aussie native. Things like rosemary, thyme, bay leaf, mint. There's even some pink peppercorn and a bit of watercress, which grows here year-round for, for warmth. So, yeah, I, I guess we could have created something that um, – takes more of an homage to, say, a classic London dry, but that's not what grows here. Um, and so we've really tried to encapsulate that and stand apart by something that people can relate to with this part of the world. And, and we're really glad we did it and happy with the result. Mm. Yeah, when I first read some of the aromatics that you've used, I wasn't sure what I would feel because I don't particularly love the smell of lavender. It reminds me a little bit of... Um, kind of that kind of grandmary, you know, like that soapy kind of element. Um, and I was really surprised because I think that that balance that you have of the cress and the mint and the rosemary, there's these green elements. And so instead of um, a kind of manicured grandma's garden of what I kind of imagined, it really felt very lush to me, like, you know, morning dew and kind of all these fresh earthy elements and I just thought wow this is really well balanced and I just I love all those fresh elements to me it's like walking through a garden but on a day where you've had some kind of morning rain and it just felt so fresh and lively and um it very well balanced I really enjoyed it thank you and um yeah spot on and that's what we we've really tried to achieve because there is a lot of choice um out there and you know we know what speaks of the highlands and and that are that is those ingredients i think the other thing that we've really learned by by focusing in that way on on the gin in particular is um it it lends itself to different drinks um lends itself to different tonic water and a gin and tonic it lends itself to different garnishes in fact the garnishes have been a big um focus something we call garnish with your garden um uh, and and that as you know, everyone knows can really change the profile of the drink. Let's take a classic gin and tonic. We call it a garden and tonic because depending on which garnish you put in that drink really drives what sings in the base gin. And so it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure. You can get almost three different gin and tonics um, depending on which of those garnishes you choose. Something like a rosemary sprig is going to be super different to... Um, you know, a rose petal or a blood orange slice. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's nice when you've got a bit of versatility and um, I can have a pick it, you know, when we do things like festivals and people try it. I'd say it's about 50-50. People prefer, say, the citrus over the herbaceous and it's good to have choices. Now, how many – this is a question for you. How many martinis are too many martinis? <laughs> uh, well – uh, there's a fantastic bar in London um, that you may have come across called um, Taya and Elementary, and they serve a product called the One Sip Martini. And I think they're really clever. They've done that so that you, you know, if you have a second one or a third one, you're sort of really making sure you, you're not um, having it get it carried away from you. Look, I, I, think, I think one is often never enough. I think two about hits perfectly right, but I, I usually tip the scales. And if I'm on to which I rarely would do, the third I usually probably need to pull up stumps. So I think I think two feels right, um, particularly because, um, and I say this again back to the 
it being well made. What's really great, particularly if you're just sitting at a bar um, with a fantastic bartender who's making you a cocktail like a martini, sometimes the feedback you give on your first martini can give them the sort of license to give you something very creative on the second based on what you liked about the first. Um, a great example of that is a, a place I went to in Adelaide um, where the, the bartender introduced me to a whole different sort of product because I'd never um, really tried that before but because I gave him some feedback on the first one. But, yeah, I think two is where you tap out. Well, at least I do. <laughs> I'm with you on that point as well. It's rare that I have two, but three is an absolute no-go for me. So I think it's nice that we're in line. <laughs> the, other, the other thing that I think is interesting, Shantae, is, is obviously the role that things like vermouth play, um, which, um, you know, we've thought a lot about. We've created our dry vermouth to really be the perfect botanical complement to our own spirits Um I don't think there are many spirits companies that make their own vermouth, but we really wanted to try and tailor that to ours. Um, but but what's great about, say, the ratio of vermouth is you can create a very different and often lower ABV drink um, by dialing up, say, the vermouth. Um, so, you know, things like a 50-50 or a reverse martini, which is basically like a five-to-one, is just um, a whole different drink without necessarily as much of the booze in it. Mm. Yeah, we don't you don't see that ordered very often. But I mean, working in restaurants for a lot of my life, I was blown away when I first moved to the States. And um, I actually thought people were kidding when they were so particular about the way they ordered their martinis. And I'll never forget one time when I had a very camp customer that came in and had ordered a Churchill martini. And being the Aussie, I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And uh, he said, oh, darling, it's just straight frozen gin and, I, and prepared while you're glancing at the unopened bottle of vermouth. <laughs> and he was so hilarious. And I, I was in stitches. Um, and he was, he, that's, he was just a really funny guy, but I couldn't believe. I was like, my God, how many ways are there to order martini? But we do see in Australia now that um, people really are drinking a lot more martinis. I, I remember, you know, coming back to Australia about, you know, 10 years ago and it was very rare. It would be, you know, a cosmopolitan, like you said, or an espresso martini. But a lot of martinis going out the door these days, which is great to see. So who who's pouring your products and who's making the best martini with your products other than yourself? Oh, golly. Well, I'd say probably I'm not, which is probably why uh, it's fantastic to work with some great, you know, bartenders and venues who do. Um, I think what's uh, – and you being, you know, a, a really knowledgeable drinks person but, but with a real deep knowledge as well of, of wine is someone had this great line, I can't remember who said it, that spirits are an ingredient and, you know, wine is a finished product. And what's great about and what I love about working in, in the spirit space is actually that, that they are that ingredient for a bartender to do creative stuff with, whereas typically a wine is consumed as the winemaker intended um, straight from the bottle. And so when I think about, I'll give you a couple of quick examples like, um, like say, Tucker, who um, runs the bar at Benelong um, that you may know. And what's, what's fantastic about um, what they do with, say, our vodka there is he makes – um, a signature cocktail that's very much about what Benelong is about and they often name their drinks after because they're in the opera house after um, 
fantastic um, music-related things. So they call that drink Strawberry Fields Forever. That is completely different to what someone like um, Ryan, who is um, the head of the bar at Encore by Claire Smith, which is a, a, a great customer of ours. And Ryan creates a very different product, a very different cocktail. It's like a variant of a thing called an E-State Hold-Up um, with that um, with that same vodka. I guess uh, a good example, though, of the really um, classic martini would be someone like David Murphy at One Penny Red. So um, I think he's been on your podcast before. He's such a lovely man. Um, um, he he uh, obviously, and it's probably a good example of a cult following almost among locals restaurant that um, has – Locals coming time and again to a great place to eat, hang out, chat. Um, and so what um, what Murph does with our products there and both the, the spirits and the vermouth is create just really terrific classic martinis, typically around a five-to-one ratio, um, you know, usually to the customer's liking. It doesn't need to be too prescriptive. And so I guess those are just three examples where, where – um, the same product can do dramatically different things and that's what's so exciting. It's not us that makes the best drinks, it's the venues that they're poured at. So that, that that's pretty exciting. It definitely is. And I, and I love that, like you said, you that freedom to have creative license is nice to hear because, you know, you have made a beautiful product and they have been made with certain intentions in mind. But it's wonderful to hear also that, you know, you're giving it over to, you know, people that uh, do this as a job and, and to be open to, to what they can come up with is a really nice way to look at it. And it keeps it exciting, doesn't it? Because you've got lots of places to hit up to see what they're doing with, uh, with your wonderful gins and vodkas. Uh, there's certainly worse things to do in the world than um, go and support your customers, uh, which is, yeah, it's, it's a hardship, but someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. All right, Alex, if you could only drink three drinks for the rest of your life, what are they going to be and why? I think for me, the three drinks that I love really mirror what my ideal meal is with friends. Um, and they usually have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, shock, the first one would have to be a martini, you know, a well-made martini especially. You know, I'm pretty picky about where they'll get made. But um, probably more surprisingly is I'm not picky whether it's a gin or a vodka martini. I think there's a place for both. I also like it both ways with my garnish. I'll have it sometimes with an olive and a lemon twist. So I just think it's a great way to start a night out. It's so refreshing. It's so nuanced. And, um, yeah, it's just delicious. So that, that would be my first. Um, the second, sort of during the meal, I would I have to say it's a savoury Pinot Noir. Um, you know, something just really great about a good one, this sort of earthiness, complexity, great with food. And I know sometimes um, you like to get specific on which ones. I, I'd probably say something like I, I don't have the reference point of something like a DRC or what that tastes like, but I did once try a well-cellared Bass Phillip um, premium and that was the most memorable wine I've ever drunk. Uh, it was just um, just amazing. And the third one I'd say is I'm, I'm more of a savoury bitter palate than a sweet one. That's probably not a surprise. Uh, and 
But when you combine the two in an Amaro uh, at the end of a meal, I just think it is just just fantastic. It settles your stomach. There's just so much complexity sometimes when you when you've just had enough of taste and flavors. And if I had to choose one, I'd, I'd probably say it's Finette Brunca. Um, mm, hardcore. I, I, I know it's a bit full on, and I remember the first time a waiter in, in New York recommended it and uh, it just cut through everything. It was a great end to the meal. I think my wife thinks it's like floor polish, but but I'm a big fan. <laughs> yes, it's always people sit in uh, either camp, don't they? The, the why would you do that to yourself camp or the can't get enough. And uh, I, I have a lot of ad- admiration for Fernet drinkers, so I'm impressed with that. And, you know, talking about Bass Phillip, when you said savoury Pinot, it's the first wine that came to mind is savoury Pinot is Bass Phillip. And I think I'm really glad that you've had that wine and have that experience because it is just a taste sensation. And, um, you know, the kind of mushroom and forest floor and earth and spice elements to those wines are just amazing. So um, three excellent choices. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure having you on, Alex. Um, I love the product. I'm glad that it's being poured by and, and being, um, you know, consumed so well and the, the response is so well. And, you know, I, I, I just wish you the very best onwards and upwards. And maybe we might see some, um, you know, maybe some pickled onions down the track or something like that from you. Who knows what's what's in the in in the workings? But congratulations on a great product, and uh, thank you for joining me today. It's been really fun talking, and I, I know that we could probably do this for a lot longer because I've got I could talk uh, martinis and and drinks all day. <laughs> Shantae, thank you so much for having me. We've got a cellar door and a venue coming in the Highlands, so when that's open, please visit. I'd love to um, stir a martini for you. I will definitely hold you to that. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Alex. Life is grand with a martini in, ha- in hand, as somebody once said, and cheers to you. Cheers to you. Thanks a lot. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.